Welcome to Point of Reflection, the Masonic Education Network podcast. My name is Chris and joining me are Phil, Gio and Jerome. Our first topic is what is Freemasonry? So Phil, what is Freemasonry to you? It's an interesting question and I think the first place we, we should sort of look is, is our ritual because I think the ritual gives us a, um, an indication or a, or a point of orientation on, on what we're doing. I think the best place to start is some sort of interpretation of one of the key lines that we get in, in ritual and one of the ways that we, we generally instruct candidates on what Freemasonry is. So we normally, in this jurisdiction at least, we would say that Freemasonry or Masonry is a peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. So I think if we're trying to get at what masonry is, we need some kind of interpretation of that statement. Now, it's, it's a broad statement and it's one that we could take in a number of ways, but clearly here we've got reference to allegory. Now, an allegory is a story with a hidden meaning. So in some sense, you've got to look for the hidden meaning beneath the surface of Freemasonry. So that tells us something about Freemasonry. Freemasonry is a narrative with a hidden meaning. Now, a lot of the times when I've heard brethren talk about Freemasonry, they talk about what is delivered in the ritual and ceremony as if there was no hidden meaning there, as if what is said in ceremony and ritual can be taken at face value. But clearly this statement about what Freemasonry is shows us that it can't. And also think about a symbol. What is a symbol? A symbol is some kind of sign or some kind of... uh, um, Something that point, it's something that points to something else. It's something that directs us away from itself and towards a meaning. So again here, we're, 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 led, we're led from what we encounter in the lodge, through the ritual, to something that lies behind it. Okay, So just in this very statement, what we're being told is to look beneath the surface. And so one of the things we can say about Freemasonry then is that it carries meaning and the meaning that it carries is somehow beneath the surface for us to discover through allegory and through symbolism. It's quite interesting. When you mean um, symbol, do you propose that some sort of condensation of or a collective of information that you can't quite capture in words, but you can compress it in the symbol. So, regardless of one's language or background, they can somehow dive into that and connect. Is that what you meant by symbol? So, certainly, symbols can be both uh, very, very simple and with a very, very straightforward meaning, and also very, very complex. So, we might see a no smoking sign, which is one of my favourite examples. It's got a very simple meaning, but if you compare that to, for us, something like the combined square and compasses, the combined square and compasses condenses a lot of meaning. And the meaning that's condensed within that symbol is not limited to what we say about it in Lodge. Why isn't it limited to what we say about it in Lodge? Question? Why isn't it limited to what we say about it in Lodge? Well, there's, in my opinion, there's... there's um there's always a degree of personal understanding and the, the, the um, 
influences that, that you went through in your life are always going to give some sort of perspective on anything you do and anything that you interpret. So I guess going along on what you say, there's, there's a, has to be, I think, whether possible, and it's, there's a fine line in this, um, a distinguished version of meaning where one is uh, proven to be, let's say, Masonic, and even on that, <laughs> we can discuss as much as we want to, to, to find boundaries on what is Masonic and what isn't, and what is personal. So um, working tools, we can talk about it forever. And where does the, the, the personal opinion start and where does the Masonic opinion finishes? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I think as a, an individual of this fraternity, you have to take the best of both worlds and try to use them to enable you to live your life. I mean, I told Chris about this when we... Uh, one of the first um, encounters we had with each other, I, I said, I said, Freemasonry is a lifestyle more than anything else at its core. So for me, the allegories, like what Dr. Phil was saying, the allegories, the symbols, the teachings, if at the end of the day you cannot comprehend so that you can apply it to your lifestyle, I mean, um, why, why are you there for? I mean, what are you learning? I mean, is it not a metaphorical philosophy using the picture picture or concept of building something is it not so i mean you might disagree with me with that but for me it's a metaphorical uh building building of yourself building of how you approach life uh building of your relationship with society around you and i guess building a relationship with your maker ultimately so w- would you say that um for you, masonry, it's uh, um, basically giving you tools. Yeah, pretty much tools in the physical interaction with society, tools with um, an internal development of myself, and I think the ultimate spiritual tools to make me understand a more deeper fundamental connection with my own spirituality. My, my individual spirituality, uh, and I, I do stress that individual spirituality to each their own, but that's just my view. So you've got your, your physical, you've got your mental or internal and spiritual tools for those three aspects of you. What I find interesting about Freemasonry as well is it's one of the few things, you know, one of the few organizations, you know, external to, you know, corporates or whatever that is self-defining. We actually have our own definition internal to us that we say that this is what Freemasonry is. It is a peculiar system of morality, valid and allegory, and illustrated by symbols. Um, and that's very interesting because one of the biggest points of contention among brethren, and it's, it's kind of a common Masonic meme or trope, is if you ask 50 Freemasons what Freemasonry is, they'll give you 50 different answers. Um, I believe that the question is actually something different if we ask what freemasonry means to 50 uh, to 50 different brethren then of course it will mean something different to them entirely because exactly because of the reasons we've we've been discussing but what it is doesn't necessarily change and so for me one of the um things about freemasonry is there are different aspects to it you know there are for example there's uh the education side of uh freemasonry which focuses on your moral and spiritual development there's 
the fellowship and the brotherhood side of things as well. So forming fraternal bonds and um, brotherly love and everything like this. And there's also the benevolent and charitable side of Freemasonry as well. Um, I believe all three are of equal importance um, in Freemasonry. Um, however, in the definition of Freemasonry, is, and I keep coming back to it whenever I'm reflecting on Freemasonry, a peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. Um, the word that sticks out there is, a, or the words that stick out, a peculiar system of morality. So when I, uh, one of the things that comes to mind when I'm discussing what Freemasonry is, is what is Freemasonry not? And um, unfortunately, there is a tendency, and uh, um, all of us here have discussed this um, previously, there's a tendency in Freemasonry to adapt it or um, interpret it in different ways. So as a social club or as a, a way to get business connections or as a way to basically just hang out and have a good drink together, um, which I think I can understand um, why brethren f- uh, feel that way because these things are pleasurable and they're fun and they're, they're easy to do. Um, particularly, you know, uh, having fun together and socializing quite a lot together, but I don't think that should be to the detriment of Masonic education. But anyway, that's my two cents on what uh, Freemasonry is. I just wanted to pick up on the interesting distinction that you make between what Masonry is and what it might mean. When When I began, I said an interpretation of this statement now, the statement tells us what masonry is. Masonry is a peculiar system of morality and so on. What it means, what that statement means or what the allegory indicates is really a matter for each brother to um, determine on their own terms in light of their own experience, in light of the traditions that they were exposed to throughout their life. We can't really dictate what that means. But we know what it is and we know what we are told. And so if we say that masonry is, as you say, 60 different things to 50 different brothers, then we're wrong about that because what it is is a peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. That's what it is. Where we go with what that means is, I think, as Geo was um, pointing out earlier, often quite personal, right? But you need to have some interpretation of what that statement means. I think if you don't actually analyse that statement, you're, how should I say it, you're not really addressing the core ideals of what it is to be a member. I mean, I know people join for different reasons, I'm aware of that, but I think fundamentally regardless of one's own motivations for joining it, if it is not to develop that system of morality and if we fail to look into um, the allegory, like pierce the veil of the allegory, you know, I mean, are we really doing our mission as members? Because that's what it explicitly says. Um, The description, a peculiar a unique, peculiar meaning, unique system of morality veiled in allegory. So we have a moral system, but as Masons, we need to perform the Masonic labor of piercing through the veil so those hidden allegories could be more, I guess, meaningful to us, but at the same time, grant us some sort of revelation slash enlightenment to, like I said before, build ourselves, and this is going to be very cliche, but, you know, become a better man. 
you know, that's just, um, that's what I think the mission is and that's the instruction of what that description has given you. Oh, definitely. And you touched on something really important there, which is we've been talking about what Freemasonry is and you've touched on what, what is it for? What, what, what is Freemasonry for? And if you ask what uh, a lot of brethren around the world, what, is, what does Freemasonry do? The, the general gist of what um, the answer is, is it takes a good man and teaches him how to become a better man, a better part of society, a better father, a better brother, better son. Better it's, it's very generic yeah. though, don't you think? Oh, uh, it too is. Generic. It's, it's, never, it's never actually defined. Uh, how, do you, how do you measure that? I mean, it's given more of a common sense approach. Like, well, obviously, you know, he must be better because he's, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. But it, it is important as well, I think, for brethren to reflect on not just what it is and what it means to them, but also what is it for, and then use that to guide their own individual practices, Masons, and reflect on the lessons that are taught throughout uh, the degrees and, and uh, rituals of, of the craft. One of the things I think is that this statement where we say this is what Masonry is, I think it also gives us something of the how, right? And, and that's what it struck me when Jerome was talking about piercing the veil. Right, how masonry works, I think, is through reflection on the allegory, right, and through reflection on the symbols, right. That allows us to pierce the veil and discover, right, discover the peculiar system of morality that lies within it. Now, I think, and just this is this is a view I've cultivated over over a long time, that the type of moral system that we find in in masonry shouldn't be thought of in light of a lot of contemporary or very modern approaches to um, moral theory. I think in masonry, morality is more about the perfection or bringing forward the perfections of character along multiple dimensions. Moral, yes. Spiritual, yes. Intellectual social, theological. I mean, I'm sorry to play devil's advocate here, and I'm sure each one of you have, has an opinion on this. You know that comment that feels, uh, sorry, that uh, Chris said, masonry takes good men and makes them better. So hypothetically, what do I do? I join masonry, I'm in. Do I wake up one morning and say I'm a better man? Does it work like that? Because that's the consensus that a lot of people think. You know, they're, oh, Here's your application form. We're going to initiate you. Doesn't matter. It'll sort yourself out. And then one day you're just going to wake up and become a better man. I'm sorry to say, it doesn't work that way. Unless you make an effort and unless someone mentors you into using and seeing the philosophy of masonry to, I just, I guess, change your lifestyle, it doesn't work by itself. Like you're not going to wake up one day and say, oh, I'm a perfect Ashler. You guys agree with me? Like, it, there is literal work to be done. Absolutely, but <clears throat> it's not only that. Um, I think that um, when talking about the veil or any any threshold, to walk over the threshold, you should already have uh, your foot almost halfway in, and the veil that is punctured and something is going across, the veil already has some ears and cracks here and there. Because otherwise, if you're not predisposed to learn, you're never, ever going to learn. Do you know what I'm, what I'm trying to get to? Um, it, it's important to, to understand that if you approach masonry, that means that you've got an interest. That means that you're looking for something. 
and this is where it's important um i think for me to 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 not look actively into uh letting people in because if i'm asking you chris chris would you like to join my friends in masonry you would have a different perspective about it perspective about it whereas if the person is approaching me knowing look i would love to be part of that i feel like we would get along well we we aligned and i want to learn from uh from from your teachings and from other people that have uh, different opinions that's different mm. so predisposition i guess is really important when we talk about the the teaching of masonry oh definitely and it's we we bring up some good points here and i used to talk a lot with um potential freemasons and I used to ask them a very simple, what I believe is quite a simple question. It has a complex subtext, and I used to explain this um, to candidates. But the the question was this, do you want to be a member or do you want to be a Mason? Now, I define those two terms in this way, and I I explain these to the candidates as well, so they they don't just tell me what they want. A member is someone who's going to join a a pretty cool social club. They're going to make some good friends. They'll get to wear a pretty cool ring. They'll get to go through some interesting ceremonies. And they can feel pretty good about themselves. Or a mason is someone who's promising and obligating themselves to behave in a certain way for the rest of their life. They're going to try. They're going to strive towards the highest moral, um, highest moral virtues and the other virtues that uh, Phil has mentioned as well. They're going to constantly scrutinize their own behavior and the behavior of those around them in a in, in a loving and caring way. It's not just scrutinizing brutally and saying, "Look how great I am," but with as much love and care as they can, in order to live their life as best as they can and create the best possible outcome for themselves, the connections and the society around them as well. Now, the que- that's what a Mason is. But then I also add on a, a secondary question to that if they indicate that that's what they like. I'm like, um, and I think this is a good reminder for any um, Freemasons that are listening is if you were to do all those things and receive no recognition for them whatsoever, you couldn't, let's say you couldn't identify yourself as a Freemason, you could never wear a ring or um, and this does happen in a number of places around the world, um, both in the past and today. Um, would you still do it? Would you still try try your best to live your life by these by these particular high um, values and try to strive towards them and lift other people up towards them as well? If you could get no recognition for it whatsoever, I think that's something to, for all Freemasons, and it's some uh, to keep in mind. It's something that I certainly keep in mind quite a lot of the time. Along along those lines, I've um, to some of them the the. the uh, prospective members that I've met and uh, candidates, I've always told them, you can learn every single thing that we do yeah, on your own without paying membership fees, without turning up. And they're just like, oh, really? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Especially those ones that um, are all into like, you know, the secret societies and I want to learn all the mysteries. Uh, uh, this is so interesting and the secrets and the tradition. I'm like, literally, you can learn everything you want Online, you can go and get books. You can buy books anywhere where it talks about it, and you can you can learn that from from there too. You know, you don't have to come here every uh, every week or every month, depending on how often you meet. And that makes them think, mm. because why would you meet to do something that you can do on your uh, on your own leisure? And this is especially important for those that are like, oh, I'm really uh, interested in the history. I'm really interested in uh, in reading and the philosophy. I'm like, well, why don't you do it on your own? Why are you why are you coming here? This trick, this is a trigger, and it's important for me this because for me, masonry is tradition. To me, it encompasses tradition, 
and maybe not in the, um, let's say, um, proper meaning of the term, but that would be the, the tradition that, for example, we all have in our in all our, our families. So, my my grandmother will, would would uh, tell me those ten sentences. Uh, that's a story or something that it's coming from from a past that teaches that teach me a lesson. For me, masonry that's what it is. It's it's a, it's a, it's a grandmother that it's uh, giving us lessons that I interpret in a way, you interpret in your way, and Philip, you're going to interpret that in, uh, in your way too. So for me, if I will have to use a term and, and a meaning that could encompass different uh, understandings, it's, it's tradition. You've touched on a, a fantastic thing here as well, which is uh, what's the point of differentiation? Yeah, why exactly would you join a group of men that are doing this particular thing when you can do it on your own? And one of the attractions of Freemasonry for me is I've, I've been accused of being over-analytical in the past and I wear that with honor because I am. And I, I ask myself, well, why meet as a lodge? Why do these things? Why surround yourself with all these good men when I can do it by myself? And it's, for me, it's part of it, at least, is a way to mitigate against our own internal biases. So I can read the lessons of Freemasonry and, and read the morals and I can get a copy of Ritual you know, on, online and, and do all that. Um, and I can try to contemplate on things. And contemplation is a big part of Freemasonry, in my opinion. You know, being able to reflect on and contemplate what you're doing and the implications of, of the lessons and how they apply to your life. One of the big problems, though, is we cannot see our own biases very easily. We believe we can. We can believe that we're being objective. And it, but even the most educated of people will still have their own biases. But then if I surround myself with other men who are aiming at the highest possible um, morality, and I can judge by their demeanor and by their actions and by the things that they that they are good men. I can then share my reflections, contemplations with them, and my actions and everything, and invite feedback from them. And hopefully, therefore, I can re- come to a more refined view of what it is that I'm doing, or um, change course. So uh, an example is if I had um, uh, one particularly uh, moral brother that I that I will give a shout out to is right worshipful brother Joel Solomon. If I'm telling him my reflections on on something that I've done at work or how I've been treating my wife, if he tells me, Chris, you know what? You need to change the way that you're thinking because you're you're wrong. I need to even if I don't completely change my mind, I have to take that into consideration. That's one of the beauties of Freemasonry is that now we're not just I'm not just contemplating for myself. I'm going to be sharing these contemplations, these innermost parts of myself and the ways that I'm thinking and opening myself up for scrutiny, but with people that love me um, as a brother and people who want the absolute best for me and who want the best for their society. And that's part of the reason why I believe that Freemasonry, if, uh, if practiced correctly, can be so transformative. Again, just because that way I'm no longer going to be as affected by my own individual biases when it's subjected to a group of men who have the same aim. And to further add to that, Chris... A group of men who also share the same journey. Yes, that's the. I think that's a another important facet. Um, one thing that I, that I see really um, um, personal, really important to me is that you're exposed to people. Um, honestly, if I didn't attend any lodge, I wouldn't have met uh, Philip. And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, I don't really want to go <laughs> too much into deep. <laughs> As I said, it's personal. <laughs> But um, through Philip, um, you know, we can argue about the positiveness or the ne- <laughs> the negative aspects about it. But I've been exposed to to to, to his opinions and uh, um, the books that he likes um, that that kept me awake uh, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but I I wouldn't have been exposed to so many other things. 
um, that quite honestly, um, I'm not sure if I've um, I, I would have known just through uh, the the study myself, say staying at home. And I think it's it's the same for you, Chris, and you, Jerome. There's always that one person, those two people in lodge, that um, will open another porch, another entrance for you to cross. I think it is important that we make relationships within within the lodge. But let's not forget that the lodge itself is a very, very complex symbol, right? That we can, we can see that described in a book, but we have to step into the lodge. And when we step into the lodge, there's a kind of visceral experience of walking into that room. Um, if we walk into it in the right way, it is walking into... Look, I mean, l- let's be clear. We used to call it a temple. For 300 years, we called it a temple. Now we tend to call it a Masonic centre. We used to call it a ritual. For 300 years, we called it a ritual. Now we call it a ceremony. Right? Now, temple, ritual, when we walk in there, we're walking into space which is what I would, how I would say, um, oh, it's sacred space, right? But the, the, one of the most important things about masonry, in, in my view, is the experience. Not just the experience of walking into the lodge, but the experience that we have the first time we're brought into that lodge in a ceremony or in a ritual as an entered apprentice properly prepared, right? There is nothing that you can read in a book, right, that will give you that experience, right? And the people that you interact with as you move through that lodge, they're real people, right? They're speaking to you lines from a ritual that they've memorised but they're delivering it in their way, right? They're saying it in their way with their feeling, right? And the emphasis will be slightly different. The same words, the emphasis will be slightly different, right? It is a human interaction with other human beings that goes on within a space which I would describe clearly as sacred space, right? And we're engaging with what for 300 years we described as a ritual, we can call it a ceremony now and we can call it a Masonic centre now, but it's a ritual performed within a temple. And the space that we enter is very special space that hits us and allows us to undergo a peculiar experience. And I'll use the word peculiar in its proper sense, unique, right? unique individual experience right? that should be transformative and should be with you for the rest of your life. And I remember still the day that I was brought into Lodge, about 26 years ago now, I still remember that day. And I still remember that moment as if it was yesterday. You can't get that same experience with just reading it online or reading it in the book, oh, can you? No. no. Possible. No, no, no. Definitely not. But you, you, you live the profane world. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and you, 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 you do, you know, in, in especially in specific rites, you, you do live the, the profane world and... With special people, like we experience, I think, in my opinion, in uh, with the symposium um, or the solstice uh, la- last year, um, there was a special feelings in feeling in vibe in the room. That's correct, know? and yeah. you you don't have that on your own. No, no. I think it's just the energy of being in a room with the same, uh, sorry, um, like-minded people. That's probably the right term for it. Like-minded people, and the fact that they are in the same sim- or similar path as you with that self-development and um, wanting knowledge, it somehow motivates you or inspires you 
Whereas if you were just reading by yourself, um, books or internet or whatnot, you don't have that same motivation. It's more like a team, isn't it? Like yes. we are a lodge. We are a guild. And what we build is not only ourselves, but wouldn't you agree each other? Definitely. One thing that I'd you know, bring it to the topic of what is Freemasonry. We've, we've talked a lot about reflection and we've talked a lot about self-improvement. And one question that I, you know, I've had a lot to say about this in, in the past is to what extent do our current practices and the way that we do things in Lodge and in our, in our ceremonies and the way, particularly I've, I've been quite you know, vocal about my thoughts on progression, to what extent do you think these reinforce or not um, these things on reflection and on contemplation? What do you think about that? Because I've, I've got some pretty strong opinions that a lot of what we're doing right now doesn't go far enough in encouraging reflection and contemplation and all these kinds of things. But what do you all think about that? I think it, um, it's important to, to, to start to, to pinpoint where the issue is because you can see the Lodge as a community, but the community, it's made of people. It's made of indiv- individuals. So... It's hard to tell whether it's our mentor's fault, so those that came before us in terms of um, instructing the movement. I could, bl- I, could, I could blame uh, Philip, for example, <laughs> because um, um, he has been obviously a for, for for more than, than at least I did, and they, they um, put in place the, the thresholds for, you know, how the things should work and what you you meant to say, what you meant to encourage. So we c- we can blame whoever we want. We can agree that there should be more more um, say um, a domino effect in terms of uh, reflection, in terms of not giving the the answers but inspiring thoughts. But probably the the short answer is we should do it ourselves as individual rather than relying on the system. Because the system is never going to be what you want it I to mean, be. Just go on top of what you just said, um, Geo. We have that phrase in masonry of our own free will in the cause. So, yes. joining, becoming a member, go through the the degrees, turning up to meetings. That's not going to be enough if we ourselves don't, of our own free will in the cause, make that change. I mean, turning up to meetings, listening to Masonic podcasts, reading books about Masonic education. If we in ourselves don't take that step. As you said at the start, pierce the veil. I mean, you're still going to be the same rough Ashley as you were when you try to petition, you know? The reason I bring this up is um, I've, I understand that, you know, this is a public forum, so I can't go into any detail about our system of progression, but um, in general terms, it's usually the memorization of a very short catechism, about 10 questions and answers, um, at least in this jurisdiction. and um, from an from a pedagogical and educational point of view, I, I believe quite strongly that um, people don't do what you expect; they do what you inspect. And so, um, by having this particular catechism, which ha- which serves its own purpose, and I'm not knocking it whatsoever, it has its own purpose. And and the questions and answers therein are very interesting, and we'll probably discuss them again at, at a future Zoom meeting because I think it's such a fascinating topic. But um, when I went through th- through the degrees, my particular lodge. Um, uh, expected us not just to do that but also to present reflective papers and to be able to answer reflective questions and and so there was no right or wrong answer one of the uh, questions um, I'll, gi- I'll give a generic question because this isn't going to give away any ritual is um, 
what do the square encompasses mean and what do they mean to you and how will you apply them to your life? You know, now that's interesting because the first part of the question is define it, which you, you know, any, anyone can be able to go on Google and define it. But then the second two questions are asking them, uh, asking them to contextualize them to yourself. Now I bring this up because I, I believe that's a, an important part of masonry is, is reflection. And so, um, as part of our progression, I believe that's something which Freemasonry, we, we talk a lot about reflection. We talk a lot about these things, but our actual practice, as in this is the thing that you need to do in order to progress, we're not uh, amplifying or solidifying that, you know, that, which is my opinion on the matter. I think, I think that's right. I, mean, I think there are things that we can do in Lodge that will help, that will help brethren or help brothers <coughs> develop. And I think, yes, it's got to be an individual thing, Right, the cultivation of virtue or the cultivation of inner dispositions does require the individual to work. But if we think about it in terms of virtue, one of the things that, that we get from Aristotle is that virtues, these dispositions, he, he refers to them as, well, he is, the, the term is often translated through the Latin habitus right, or habit, right? some, some kind of... Um, um, almost way of life, to go back to what, what uh, um, uh, Jerome was saying at the beginning, a, a habitual disposition to behave in a certain manner. Now, how do, we, how do we pick up these virtuous dispositions? Well, quite often we pick them up by firstly observing somebody who displays those virtues. So you, you need an exemplar or a model that you um, can observe the virtue in display. And remember, we also, you know, it's, this is, in Aristotle, intellectual virtues are very prominent. These are, we're not just talking about moral virtues. We're talking about intellectual virtues and other virtues as well. Right? We pick them up through being exposed to exemplars right, who demonstrate the virtue. Then... We develop them as habits by practicing them. We see them performed. We recognize them as virtues. We practice them. Right? We can't expect a uh, individual candidate to go off and do the right thing, or, or go off and cultivate, let's say, temperance or prudence or fortitude, any of these things, just by saying to them, "Here are some virtues." We have to exemplify those virtues in our conduct, right, so that our candidates see those virtues displayed in our actions and non-hypocritically, right, non-hypocritically, right. Um, they have to be authentically displayed in our actions, right, as if, I mean, we don't always get it right, right, but the candidate or the, or the um, young member has to at least see that we want to get it right, that, that we are striving towards temperance, we are striving towards prudence, we are striving towards virtue, right? And that instills in them a model which they can then try and emulate and practice and develop the habitus or, or the habitual disposition to behave in that manner. And, you see, this is why the group, this is why the lodge or the, or the body of uh, uh, men right, uh, is important. And this is why you won't get it from a book, right? You won't get it from reading, I mean, just merely reading Aristotle, right? You won't get it from merely reading anyone, 
right? You need to be around people who you respect for their behaviour, right? Respect for their conduct, right? And begin to emulate those people. So, yeah, if you are an experienced member or a senior member of a lodge, therefore, much more is expected of you to be that that exemplar, you know, in inverted commas. You have to be the good example for the less experienced, newer members. So you really do have to continue to serve the lodge. Um, you know, it's not one of those things where, oh, he's finished his term as an officer. He could just lay back, slack off, not worry about upholding our morals. I think it's a, it's even more pressure for you to, dare I say, perform as a mason so that the uh, younger, less experienced members will see, oh, he's an experienced member. This is a pre-made model of what is expected for me. Therefore, now I understand the benchmark of what I need to strive in my own Masonic journey for the years to come. Uh, wouldn't you, would you agree? 126% because... And I think the higher we go up the chain, the, the more important this becomes. The more prominent you are in masonry, the more important that becomes. Definitely. It's, and what's, what's really interesting as well, and I think this is just the thing about human nature as well, is that when, when you do join any kind of society and, and you really value it and you value what they're doing, you yourself want to perform and want to do it. So it's really important that... the I've talked a lot before in, on, on our Zoom sessions and things about lodge culture. And, and what are the kinds of things that your lodge um, will accept and will not accept? And so um, I'm glad that you brought this um, idea of exemplars up, Phil. It's, it's such a fantastic thing because in terms of reflection, if, if we're going to encourage reflection, what's the best way to encourage reflection? If the lodge culture, particularly the senior brethren of the lodge, which, which is what happened to me, the senior brethren of the lodge said to, said to me, Chris, to be a member of this lodge, you have to do... Uh, you have to present these reflections. Here are our reflections that we've presented to the lodge and you know we're doing it and this is how we're exemplifying it. If you want to be one of us, if you want to be accepted um, among us, this is the behavior that you have to um, emulate yourself and then later come to exemplify yourself as well, which is, I think that's such an important part of Freemasonry. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, Phil. Uh, I guess, you know how um, Masonry puts you in a in a position where you have to self, you know, analyze yourself as if you're looking yourself in the mirror, you're, you're confronting your flaws as a person. I think being a member and seeing the senior members or just the members in general of a lodge do that, um, it puts it more to perspective. So you only not only have a reflection of the lodge, but you also have a reflection of yourself. So it's just that, that yin and yang as within, so without thinking. You, know, you see it in yourself, but you also see it with these human nature and you think and that's the other advantage of doing this in a group as opposed to reading it or you know just doing it by yourself um, you see it in action for better or for worse in human nature and i think that's where you learn that's the that's the fundamental lesson seeing it in action in society Definitely, and um, it's just something to bring up here as well is is the notion of human nature. And for me, being a Freemason, or what is it to be a Freemason, is all of our actions, whether they are good or whether they are bad or whatever it is, is what it means to be a Freemason because we are Freemasons and the way that we are acting 
helps define what it is to be a Freemason. So if we if we are behaving poorly, if we are acting immorally, if we're not accepting accountability or responsibility, if we are acting hypocritically, this then becomes what it means to be a Freemason. And we know from our, our ritual, we know from everything we do that that should not be the case. We should always be aiming higher. We should always be striving our absolute best towards the highest um, possible good and also be willing at all times to undergo an examination of our morals to undergo an examination of our actions and our intentions and hopefully we'll be able to um, provide a good answer to questions of our character questions of our uh, of our morality questions of what we've done and as as phil said the higher up you go you should be more and more willing and humble to to accept uh, this kind of questioning as well. Now, I'm not saying questioning in, in a brutal fashion, in, in, a, in a mean-spirited fashion, but it's your actions and the things that you do, the way that you interact with others, set the definition for what Freemasonry is in, in the real world. Now, we can have what it is on paper, but what it is in the real world is defined by everything that you do and say. I think, I think that's a really important point that we, and we need to focus on it. Who is the judge, right? Who is the judge of your conduct as an individual? Not you. You might want to explain your conduct, right? And you might want to try and uh, persuade people that really your conduct isn't as bad as they judge it to be. But the judge of your conduct is not you. It's those around you and those who see you and those who observe you. Similarly within Freemasonry, right? We might be arrogant enough to say to ourselves that only we can judge Freemasonry because only we know it, right? But our actions are judged by others, right? And ultimately, the court of judgment is the court of external opinion, the opinion of others. And if we can't cultivate good opinion, then we aren't really living up to the values of the craft, right? Uh, it's a very important thing. We've, as as an organisation, this organisation has always prided itself on morality and virtue, honour, integrity. Well, who are the judges of these things? If I'm to judge my own case, then I am always moral, virtuous, right? I am always a man of integrity and honour. If I'm if I'm to judge my own case. Right, but I'm not the judge of my own case, and you are not the judge of your own case either. I would like to um, stress um, a, 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 a little point, which I think uh, it'll be useful for listeners as well, that I think that no one is this table is perfect yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it, I'm out of here, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> See you later. So... Um, I think we're <laughs> a few we're, superfluous knobs. Exactly, <laughs> we're we're all uh, I think trying to aspire for the best, um, but um, I think even just trying to to to, to get a few of those virtues uh, virtues right, even just uh, being humble, I would say, um, because Philip must say, "Hey, Geo, look, you really <laughs> didn't do a good thing just then," and if I'm an arrogant, I'll be like. Who the hell are you to tell me that? Whereas if I just sit there and like, mm, why did he say that? That start to, to trigger a domino effect that I really like to, to always bring up uh, because you sometimes don't get to conclusions straight away. And even if um, Phillips will, will end up telling me the, the, the real reason why, I might not get it straight away. 
this is uh it goes along with the uh the the famous sentence say that if someone explains you the real meaning of masonry you wouldn't be able to understand it because but arrogance we know arrogance is not a virtue yeah, you know, arrogance is not a virtue. It's definitely not. The arrogant man never listens to the criticisms of others. The arrogant man will always reject the criticism that others bring, and particularly reject the criticisms that those uh, who he perceives to be lower than him bring. Right? And arrogance is not a virtue. Gio, you brought up a really good point as well that none of us are perfect, and you know I. As painful as it is for me to admit it, I'm not perfect either. But I said it out of my perfection, though. Huh? <laughs> I just <laughs> yeah, no. But it, it is a fantastic point, and and so as a Freemason, something every Freemason should keep in mind is okay. Yes, we have set this almost impossibly high target of aiming, always acting as morally as possible, always doing the absolute best that you can. But it's important as Freemasons to keep in mind that there are times that you will get it wrong. There are times where you will say the wrong thing. You will do the wrong thing. How do you come back from that? You know that to me. That's that, the key. That's the that's key. That's the key. The that, key. It's knowing how to react when you're at the lowest point. That's it. You have done something wrong. So, as a Freemason, I believe that's when humility comes in. First of humility and accepting what you've done wrong. Like yes, I actually that actually was mean spirited of me to say this particular thing, or maybe I shouldn't have. Um, you know, done this particular thing. And what steps are you going to take to make amends if possible? Can you fix the situation in some way? Or is there another way? And hopefully at the same time, or sometimes this is the only alternative, how can you rectify your behavior um, in order to mitigate against that happening again? Not to say that it will never happen again because we're humans, we're not perfect. We may make the same mistake again. But how can you, uh, for me, uh, part of the way that I'll be judged, I try to judge my own character and judge the character of others is how do they react when they do things that perhaps they shouldn't have and how do they react after after the ca- after the fact how do they rectify everything should we move on to the second question <laughs> <laughs> well this yeah. is my way of reacting <laughs> someone had to say it i know it? <laughs> yeah. uh, i think honestly um you know this part can be cut out for whoever's editing but um what we've been discussing good luck we, we've actually been flowing through the three yeah. questions yeah which, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. I, yeah. but I, we can you can puzzle it yeah, yeah. darren uh, darren uh, if you're hearing this good <laughs> luck we love you <laughs> Yeah. I think yeah. it was. Flo- I, I could feel it floating around. This yeah. this idea of it's going into the I, second I, question. I, I deliberately um, constructed the questions to be three different angles on the same question. So it's like yeah. we answered all of them. Yeah. Simultaneously. I I will say that we've been talking for forty five minutes already. Yeah. 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 Can we can we just? I think it it is important to say a little bit about what Freemasonry is not. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So now that we've discussed what Freemasonry is. Uh, quite extensively, uh, I believe it's also important that we talk about what Freemasonry is not. So, brethren, in your opinion, what is Freemasonry not? Networking. And this is something that I will always bring it up. If you are coming in because uh, you want to have brothers that are going to help you when you go on holidays or that you're going to help you with your business so that you're going to help you for something even just if you're stepping in because you need help in a more materialistic way walk out yeah it's 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 taken you know probably the last 20 30 40 years for masonry to get away from that image of of mutual back scratching and that's not the motivation for joining masonry and any time you sense that that's the motivation, 
that should exclude the the candidate because they'll just get frustrated. <laughs> I mean, it's, they'll just get That's frustrated. Just wrong. And and it is, and it's the wrong it's the wrong motivation. It's not showing the correct motivation. This is why I, I feel particularly strong about this, and um, particularly with the networking opportunities and and business opportunities and things as well. Is it's it, it fundamentally misses the point of Freemasonry. I mean, Freemasonry, as it's defined, is a peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. It is not a. It is. It doesn't say that it is a business networking opportunity or a way to advertise your lawn mowing business. Let's say, and it's um. It's it's really really frustrating because yes, on the I uh, I will you know go on record and say that yes, if there was if there were two businesses with equal um offerings and equal services and everything like this, and one of them happened to be run by a brother and one happened to not be, I would probably choose the one that was run by a brother. However, if a brother said to me and came to me, I, as a brother, I expect that you'll come to my place of business and give me business. Or if, I, if a brother came to me um, to my business and said, I expect a discount because I'm a Freemason or I expect preferential treatment because I'm a Freemason, that, that, to me that is absolutely appalling and abhorrent. And I'm, I'm glad that um, we are moving away or, you know, we are striving to move away from that particular image. You know, it's even when sometimes in lodges when brethren ask if they can put up signs for their business and put out their business cards and things like no this. No way. I, even I have... Um, Did that happen? There's there's stories about there where... Um, uh, I can't remember which um, place that it happened, but there was um, some debate around having a, a little stand just with all the uh, brethren's um, advertisements or business cards and, and things like this. And it's... Um, oh, my God. It's... It, it, for me, that's quite a dangerous road then because uh, all it takes is two brethren in the same lodge to have the same business and now you've got, got a conflict. You know, you bo- Both of them are solicitors, let's say, and oh, well, now you've got a problem. Both of them are plumbers or multiple are. Which one do you go... Uh, you know, it, But that, that's not the point why it shouldn't be done, but that is one of the negative consequences of it being done. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's 100% correct. If my, if my cousin is a carpenter... I might have a tendency to ring my cousin first. Absolutely, right. Like any any acquaintance. It's just any acquaintance, right? But should I expect a discount? Should I expect them to give me some sort of a treatment over and above what they would give anyone else? No, 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 no. They should be doing their job safely and properly for me or for anyone. Right? I, you do go to your acquaintances first if if Absolutely. you know them. But you see, most of the guys, most of the guys that I know in lodge. Their professions, you know, their, their professions are uh, things I don't even ask about. You know, I, I, you know, I've been in masonry for a long time, and I've know, and I know a lot of people in masonry. You know, there was one brother, oh, I can't remember who it was, and it took we want name and surname. No, by no, the way. no, 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 no. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but it took me it took me four years to work out that the guy was an accountant. Because we never, t- we just never talked about what we did. Who wants to talk with an accountant? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, who wants to talk about accountants? To all accountants that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to talk about accountancy. Yeah. One thing I will put out there, though, for any brethren that are listening, and that by a brother asking for a discount from another brother, what you're effectively communicating, in my opinion anyway, and I'm happy to be disagreed with here, but to me it sounds like you don't actually care about the brother's business. Absolutely. You, you care about your own interests more than them because if it's their own business, let's say, you're, by asking for a discount, you're doing them out of some money, you know, and that money can go towards their families, can go towards you know, putting their kids through education. And to me, that's, that serves your interests more than the brother's interests. For me, if I went to a brother's business and 
let's say he's an accountant or, you know, <laughs> shout out to all the accountants out there. Um, you know, I would, I would pay whatever, whatever would be the standard rate that he would charge a customer in a similar situation. I would want to pay that because I trust that he'll, as a Freemason, I'll trust that he'll do the best job that he possibly can. Um, you know, I trust that he'll do, but not go, not go too far above and beyond what he would normally do to his detriment because I do not want him working overtime and putting himself through stress just for me. I don't want that. I don't want him putting um, his family life or social life, or any other aspect of his life at risk just to help me out. Um, but at the same time, I will not ask for a discount or anything because that would be doing him a disservice. So if any listener in uh, who's thinking about joining Freemason, if it's for any kind of business incentive or, or disconnect, I think that's the very wrong reason for joining. There are other other places they can go to. There's, oh, yeah. uh, there's a Rotary Club that I think it's pretty explicit. So, Phil, what's your opinion about the comparisons between Freemasonry and Rotary? Freemasonry is not a service organisation. It didn't start as a service organisation. Um, if certain brethren start to think of it as something like a service organisation, then they're thinking about it in the wrong manner. Think about the origins of Freemasonry. Firstly, we begin with the medieval guilds, right? So the medieval guilds, were organisations that regulated, uh, well, particularly the, in this case, the, the, the craft of stonemasonry, and were there as sort of a social safety network for members of that guild in case they were injured on the job and couldn't work. If they died on the job, they could get a decent burial, and their wives and children would be looked after if they died on the job. But that's not speculative masonry. That's operative guild masonry. When did speculative masonry begin? Well, speculative masonry began when gentlemen, quite well-to-do gentlemen from the from the higher echelons of British society, started to join these. Uh, uh, well, started to move into the operative guild structure. They had no need for the social safety network that operative masonry provided. Right? Nor did they really have a need for networking. They were already very well connected. They moved into Freemasonry for reasons other than um, those that we would associate with a service organisation and neither did they move into this organisation because they were fond of doing charitable works. There's very little evidence in, in, I mean, so the first speculative Masons are around 1640s. So 1643, I think, is Robert Moray and, and Elias Ashmole a couple of years later. These guys did not join this organisation because they wanted to do charity. Right? Nor did most of the people that we see joining masonry uh, in, in the hundred years after them. Right? I mean, if, if charitable works in the sense of monetary giving and helping the poor and poor relief, all of which is very fine activity, very fine activity, if that type of charitable work becomes important in Freemasonry, it doesn't become important until the sort of close of the 18th century, some 150 years after masonry is established. By this stage, it's established throughout the world. We have masonry in France, we have masonry in Holland, we even, I mean, we have masonry in India, we have masonry in the Americas, right? We have masonry throughout the world before we start getting into this, this, this kind of uh, idea that masonry is primarily about charitable giving or service works. This is not where masonry began. And even though masonry stressed the word charity in parts of its ritual, ceremony and constitutions, it was always done in the sense of a caritas. caritas. Yeah. Love, brotherly love, 
right, particularly amongst one another, but also love for your fellow man. I was going to ask you that, Phil, um, your opinion whether um, there has been a misunderstanding into the um, caritas that we talk about plus the um, the public relationship that uh, Freemasonry wanted to establish with the public. But on top of that, which I wanted to con- to, 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 um, to join what you were talking before, um, would, would you say that the first um, known uh, operative Mason that joined were actually actively stepping away from the, the their social environment where they were probably uh, very active in, in charity, where they were probably very active in networking? Um, would you say that actually joining people that were renowned to be quite exclusive in their, in their, in their communities is a way to step um, out of their environment. The first two guys that we know of, Robert Moray and Elias Ashmole, are very similar in one respect. These two guys are very similar in one respect. They both have what we would refer to now as antiquarian interests. Right? They were interested in dimensions of life that a lot of their peers would not have explored terribly closely. Right, they're uh, interested in the mystical dimensions of life. Right, they seem to perceive in masonry something that was um, quite peculiar. Right, um, and I think we can we can discover that in our ceremonies. And I think, you know, from my perspective, if you look at the first uh, um, catechisms of masonry that we see, and the first ones. Uh, come in the expose of, of Pritchard around 1731. In the first degree, it talks about mastering the passions. The second degree then gets very mystical. And in the third degree, that mystical sense that is delivered in that second degree is intensified. Even more explicit, would you say that? More explicit. Yeah. This talk on charity is also quite interesting because one of the tendencies now for a number of Grand Lodges these days is to really emphasize the charitable works and the time and effort and money that Freemasons give to the local community. And in some areas, there's a, there's a tendency to really advertise that, you know, and the motivations behind it, uh, I've spoken to a number of brethren that are, that are involved in these and the motiv- motivations behind them in a lot of cases is to improve the public image or marketing. The, yeah, basically marketing to improve the image of Freemasonry in the community to hopefully recruit um, some new Freemasons and, you know, basically just to dispel a lot of the bad name that Freemasonry sometimes have because of, you know, th- there's this tendency to view it as this um, subversive or secret society, this outdated men's club. But for me, that uh, advertising your charity and doing all that fundamentally misses the point. Um, for me, once if it's an expectation that you're going to do charitable work and in and in return ask for some advertising, because in some cases there've been um, requests for the the recipients to make Facebook posts or to display the square encompasses or to do this at the other. At that point, it it becomes an exchange. It's no longer giving. It's no longer um, motivated by a sense of goodwill. It, to me, then it's effectively you're selling something now. We will give you this in exchange for that. You know, um, which for me, that ties into what Freemasonry is not because for me, a Freemason 
in my opinion, ought to give entirely in secret whenever and whenever possible. So what I mean by that is if you have an opportunity to give time, money, effort, whatever it happens to be um, in the name of charity, and I use you know charity in the sense of love, so to give something, if you have an opportunity, if you have a choice, sorry, to give it in secret as opposed to giving it with recognition, for me, a Freemason would choose to give it in secret, which is more aligned to giving it because you this is your goodwill this is something you actually want if it's you, actually genuine it's actually genuine if you if you want publicity rec- that's it if you want pu- publicity recognition all these things can you say that you are obligated uh sorry if you are motivated sorry by your um morals in this case or is it because you want something else now what you may want you know and uh, and the justification that's given here is well a good public image can't hurt you know it can't hurt to get recruit more masons but to me it fundamentally misses the point and it's not part of what freemasonry is or should be in my opinion put it this way uh, let's take it the other way around if you do donate to a worthy cause and they'll say thank you very much for your generosity um as a token of our gratitude we want to display. So that's that's a different thing. Yeah. It's not yeah. a transaction. Yeah, if, if they offer it, yeah. If yeah. they offer it freely and that was never your intention, definitely. Yeah, so it, it is, there is a, to the people listening at home, there is a difference where um, Chris said, you donate it for the sake of getting something back. To me, that's not charity. That's more of a business transaction. But uh, the other alternative scenario, if you donate and they are so, um, you know, that gratitude that they want to, Pay, uh, you know, pun intended, to pay you back. They go, oh, thank you for your help. We will put your logo up so people could understand that you helped us. That that that's genuine for both sides. I think it's um and a lot of this comes from you know posit- uh, like a lot of this kind of wanting to advertise. Like I said, comes from wanting some good public exposure because. And I think this ties into another aspect of what Freemasonry is not, is that there's this public perception that Freemasonry is a secret society. What do you, brethren, think about that statement? Like, like that what kind of secrets? Like um, like Simpsons? <laughs> Stonecutters. Portrayal <laughs> secrets? But, but brethren, what do, you, what do you think about the statement that Freemasonry is a secret society? What do you think about that? Well, um, I want to I pinpoint um, uh, one thought. Worries. Just tell me something. And, and I want you to actually think about it. Uh, something that you don't know, that no one knows, that would actually change your life. So you have to think about a secret, okay? That if revealed, would totally change your, your life or the way you, 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 you really live your, your daily living. <laughs> because that's, that's what people think, that we are depository of... Uh, some kind of archaic information. You know, yeah. there's some kind of information that we know that it will change everything. I, I still have to go to work. <laughs> so definitely it's not money. <laughs> they think of the secret, or, or if there is the secret, they think of the secret as, as if it's some piece of information that will be presented to you that you'll receive and then will all of a sudden unlock doors. For instance, that, that people will think about um, the Masonic Handshake. Right, because it it is kept private, right? So people think about the Masonic handshake as if this is going to unlock doors. You know, in twenty six years of Freemasonry, I have never given the Masonic handshake to anyone who I did not already know to yes. be a brother. Yes, 
right? And in that case, when I gave it to that brother, I didn't need to give it because we both knew each other were Freemasons. Why did we exchange the handshake when we met? Affection. (laughs) That's why we exchanged that particular handshake. It was a sign of affection, right? Um, But in, in my entire career as a Freemason, I have never given the handshake to anyone who I didn't know was a brother and who didn't know I was a brother. Never. That, that would imply that you um, actually give the handshake every single time to, mm, you know, happen to have that conversation with someone. Oh, are you Mason? So that means that that wouldn't be a secret anymore because if you're doing it on a daily basis to shake hands that way, <laughs> that, that, you know what I mean? That, that, that means that it's, it's not a secret. If you're doing it to literally anyone <laughs> to, to, to find out or to let them know that you're a Mason, then <laughs> there's something wrong. There is a secret in Freemasonry, and it, it's a very profound secret. Uh, and this secret was hit on by a guy called Walter Leslie Wilmshurst in his writings on Freemasonry. It was articulated by uh, Lord Northampton, the former pro-grand master of uh, the United Grand Lodge of England. And, and I'll give the secret right now, right? and I'll be fairly frank about what the secret is. Right? The secret is experiential. right? And because the secret's experiential, I can't tell you what it is. You have to experience it. Right? The, exper- the experience of um, the ceremonies, right? can't be communicated right it cannot be communicated now that word there communicated right um if we wanted to get very deep and very misty about uh what masonry means this notion of communication of 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 verbal community verbal communication the communication of of what we used to call back in the 17th century the mason word right um which actually referred to the signs the grip and the verbal secrets, right? And here is tradition, by the way, uh-huh. for me. Mm-hmm. That's the tradition. That's the tradition. But it wasn't the actual things communicated there, right? Um, they are, again, metaphors, right? They're metaphors, they're allegories, and they're symbols. right? And if you want to find out the secret that lies behind those, you have to experience the ritual, you have to contemplate the ritual, Right, and you have to do the work for yourself of contemplating the experience, the peculiar experience that you underwent on that night. Right, and unless you do that, you won't discover the secret because no one can communicate it to you. There's the secret of Freemasonry. Mm. And I'm I'm glad that you brought up the phrase "do the work," you know, because it's when people have asked me about well, what what's the big deal in Freemasonry? Why can't you just tell everyone? Why can't you, you know? Well, as you brought up, I I physically couldn't i would i don't have the i don't have the words to be able to, to describe it much like when you try to describe a particular experience to someone you like can ne- swimming you can never you can never do it justice you can read every single book there is in the world about swimming and you can watch every single video that there is you can do you can talk to swimmers but until you get into the water yourself and actually go and do it it's you c- you don't know what it's like and then to actually get good at that particular thing it involves work it involves actually hard work and so even masonry just by joining masonry just by being initiated doesn't mean that you understand it it involves hard work you know and it's it may take your entire life and even then maybe this is something for me every time i think that i've started to grasp what freemasonry means and you know the the secret of it all 
I find out something new, I experience something different, I've done a bit more work and then I've completely changed or, you know, I've, I've added on refined my understanding of what Freemasonry is. And in terms of the public perception of, well, if, if there's just this piece of information that can change my life and, you know, just because you have that, even if there was a particular piece of information, are you going to act on it? You know, I, I, I give an example, right? A friend of mine's a personal trainer and um, I asked him, I said, well, look, what's the secret to losing weight? What what's the secret? Now, when people say, when people want to lose weight, they always want the quick miracle. They want a miracle. They basically want something that's easy, um, something that is a, a quick fix that they just have to do once, hopefully, and and that'll be that. And he said, no, you you got to watch what you eat. You've got to get in some good exercise. You know, basically take care of yourself. And it's hard work, and it's it involves a lot of discipline and a lot of this kind of thing. And but, a lot of commitment. But people don't want to hear that, you know. And it's the same deal with Freemasonry. You know, it's just because you've been through the ceremonies and things as well. And this this is the more aimed at you know Freemasons themselves doesn't mean that you've it means it should be an impetus for you to then contemplate and actually do the work of Freemasonry. But um, going back to what Freemasonry is not, and it's not being a secret society, I mean, in, in the most prosaic sense of, or, you know, the most literal sense of secret, I mean, it, it doesn't really fit that definition very well. The fact that we're able to talk on a podcast <laughs> about what it is, you know... The fact that people know that we exist. Exactly. It, goes, it, it just goes against the, the fact of a secret society. Well, that's it. That That's like, in its most literal sense, like if we're talking about secrecy, I mean, who who meets in the buildings with the square and compasses on them? You know? Yeah, no, it's so easy to spot, isn't it? My name is Philip Quadrio. <laughs> I work at the United Grand Lodge of New South Wales and Australian Capital Territory, located in a non-secret location that you could stumble across by walking through the city and looking for a square and compass on the corner of Goulburn and Castle Ray at level five. The coffee down there is actually not too bad, by the way. The coffee's good. And just to tell everyone who's listening, you actually don't need a secret knock or secret password to go and have a tour of that building as well. So I'll give you a... You know, there you go. You just need to have a full afternoon because... You need to be after. You have to be ready to 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 a good lecture from Phil. It's Taking a lot of you don't even want to go away after that. So, what else is Freemasonry not? Here's the other thing. Um, I think worst case scenario, Freemasonry is not a get out of jail free card because a lot of people they get this erroneous misconception. Oh, the police officer pulls me over for speeding. You are actually quoting something real though. You know? I've seen that video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, we're not gonna, we're, we're not gonna go to. Yeah, that's silly video. But just because you know you get pulled over by a cop for speeding, you give him you know some masonic handshake or something, you expect to be you know scot free. It's not because as a Freemason, not to say this for the record on air, you should know better. And if you do make a mistake, being an upright man, you need to own it. You have to say, I did a mistake. I will pay the price. If I were in a position where that was the case, um, a brother, Joel Solomon told, told me a story that along similar lines how I think he was working, I think as a car salesman or he was, he was working in some deal and, and a brother kept insinuating and kept doing, apparently I think he'd done something wrong or something and he kept insinuating as a brother, hey, you'll get me out of trouble, get me out of trouble. And, and it was, in, in this situation for me, if I was in this particular position, if, if a brother said to me, look, I've, I've committed a crime, can you help me escape justice? I would look. I'd I'd instantly feel disgusted. I would instantly feel like this is uh, this person's void of all moral worth. 
Um, the fact that they've even asked me this question um, in, in all seriousness, like they've said, well, I want to get out of this uh, parking ticket. I want to get out of this court case. I want to get out of this. You know, I would say, no, what you need to do, first of all, is go and own up to your mistakes and go and sort it out. Second, you really need to think about <laughs> just why are you a Freemason if you're going to act like this? You know, the, to me, that that kind of thing. So anyone that wants to join or, um, and is thinking about, well, this is going to get me out of a out of this was going to help get me some kind of material or political or um, any kind of advantage or get, you know, act as a get out of jail free card that uh, you really need to reflect on your own morals and what it is that you value. That sort of behavior is morally contemptible behavior. If you think that you are a Freemason and you are uh, Above the at, law. at liberty to engage in morally contemptible behavior, then you are gravely mistaken about where you are and what you're doing. I think a person who is a Freemason and they act like that, to be honest with you, and, and on, on air, I think they just missed the plot. I think yep. they just But that's the in any completely. case though, Jerome. I would say that if, if my sister kills someone and she's like, oh, well, please help me, or like, no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what, you, you, I have to pay the consequences for any of your decisions and choices. This is interesting, right? Because people then go and say, well, where's the brotherly love there? If you're not going to help me, where's the love then? It's like, well, love takes many forms. And one of them is by doing what is right, not necessarily what you want, you know? And, and there's a really big distinction there. Sometimes we, um, we can do things which the person does not want, but is the most loving thing possible. I've, I've given analogies for these before. One of the ones is um, your kid wants to eat, um, I don't know, a kilo of cake in one sitting, you know, and, and they're a diabetic, let's say. Now, they really want it. Is it really loving if I give them the cake and say, here, have fun, knock yourself out, you know, see you in hospital later? Or is it more loving to say, no, you're not going to do that? Or if you've got a kid who's done something wrong, what if you want to set them up for life and set them up to be more successful in life, what's a better lesson? Here, son, I'm going to help you get out of this. I'm going to help you get out of all trouble, you know, and, you know, you're going to have me to rely on and, you know, you can weasel your way out of things. Or if you make a mistake, you should own up for it. You should, um, uh, you should... Try your best to rectify the situation and try your best to um, apologize. You know, I th and if it was my brother, because Freemasons are my brothers, um, if he's done something wrong, I would encourage him to go and try and make amends rather than trying to escape justice. Because then, to tr I don't know, to try and use a more of a Kantian perspective. Imagine if everyone was trying to weasel their way out of things. You know, it, it would lose all sense. It would it would contradict itself. It would lose all kind of sense. But there is something. There is something that we should do. For our, I mean, look. Brothers will make mistakes. Yeah. Right? There is something that we should do for our brothers who are in trouble, right? And we should do this because, firstly, we're human. Right. Secondly, because they're our brothers. And that is to give them a shoulder to cry on. Yes. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. To allow them to pour forth their feelings or whatever, as we say, the burdened heart, right? Um, we should be there for them uh, as a... Um, support network right um and to, to 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 be sympathetic to we've all we're we're all human we'll all fail very good and so i'd like to thank all the uh listeners to this a point of reflection for listening into our topics today of what freemasonry is and what it's not and i look forward to recording another session in the future for you all thank you and thank you for bye. having us thank Chris. you thanks Chris.